Have you started reading Polysecure yet? I have not. I meant to start it yesterday, but things came up, so I have not. Have you? I have. I Ooh. don't usually highlight books, as you know. Um, I know that you are a big fan of underlining and highlighting, but I typically I don't. However, on the very, very, very first page of this book, um, one of the first sentences, I'm just going to flip to it. Um, the author says, in many ways, my life is centered in not just believing in love, but in being love. And I had to reread that like five times to get my brain to not flip around the words in and being, because I kept mm -hmm. reading as being in love, but it's in being love. And as soon as I got my brain to flip it, I was like, God damn it, I need to highlight that. <laughs> so I did. And I've been very sparing with my highlights, but I have highlighted a fair bit of the book. I like it a lot so far. Okay, well, I mean, if you want, if you want to, like, lead the conversation, like, we can totally start on that and I'll catch up next week. Yeah, I could, I could talk about some points. I'm Jen. I'm Liz. And we're Harmless Harlots. What does that mean? To us, it means being open to having more than one relationship, however you define it, as long as everyone gives fully informed, enthusiastic consent. It's also an homage to our Polly Bible, The Ethical Slut, which we recommend if you want to learn more. We are enthusiasts, not experts in this field. So if you want to learn and explore along with us, we give you our knowing, enthusiastic consent to come along. I have gotten to, let's see where my bookmark is. I am on page 26. Um, I oh, ended wow. in the middle because I uh, was reading it on the way to our aunts and uncles who are more conservative. And I didn't <laughs> think about the fact that the, the title of the book is Polysecure, which isn't explicitly polyamory, but like if they asked, what are you reading? And I was like, <laughs> oh, a book on polyamory. That probably wouldn't go well. I mean, our, our uncle's an engineer. You could be like, oh, it's like intro to poly sciences, like poly plastic. Yeah, I don't even know what the polymers. word. I couldn't even lie. Yeah, polymers. Yeah. I couldn't even lie well. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's for science. Yeah, so I didn't get to read it much on a trip. But um, anyhow, um, what are some of the points? I'll, I'll look through the things that I've highlighted thus far. A lot of it is getting into like childhood stuff, which... Whew, it's a lot of things that are like right on the nose of like if one of your parents is a perfectionist hashtag mom and uh <laughs> yeah it's uh it's uh scarily accurate so far um wait what were they saying if your parent is a perfectionist you're more likely to be polyamorous no 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 no. i don't remember i just remember at one point them talking about uh having a perfectionist parent leading to certain like attachment style things and i was like hmm oh interesting yep here we are <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so one of the other first things I highlighted was um, healthy drives for autonomy and connection, which I really liked. Because um, I feel like, yeah, a lot of people have prescribed that we should have a drive for just the connection piece, but not really the autonomy part. And that mm -hmm. it's like healthy to be like, I'm going to rely entirely on one person and this one person's going to rely entirely on me. And that's healthy. And like, is it? I don't. Mm. So I, I liked that quote. Oh, one of the other things I can't remember if I highlighted this, but they actually uh, have, you know how we've been saying monogonormative and then we found a mononormative. Mm -hmm. um, they call it mononormative in there they have a definition section at the beginning which i actually really oh, like um they start off the book with just uh, a glossary of some terms that are really nice and one of, yeah mononormativity is a term coined by piper and bauer so i'm assuming those are last names um to refer to societal dominant assumptions regarding the naturalness and normalcy of monogamy where political popular and psychological narratives typically present monogamy as the superior most natural or morally correct way to do relationships so it's not monogonormative it's mononormative i like monogonormative better <laughs> i mean we can say whatever we want the language is simply to convey meaning we can use whatever words we deem i feel like i don't know i feel like mono because mono just means singularity is like the root stem so like i don't know i don't want to argue semantics i just like how it rolls off the tongue better monogonormal yeah. no, that's fair that's it's fair. like it's like that one that one video from back in the early days of the internet which was like lego clone troopers and then they had the song monomino do 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 monogonormative do 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 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> your Gen Z and your obsession with the internet. <laughs> oh, the other thing I liked um, is when they were going over the overview of the book, they said chapter nine focuses on having a secure attachment with yourself. And I was like, that's going to be important for me because I'm working on focusing on my relationship with myself and less on my many, many, many relationships with other people. Also, it reminded me of, I was in a work seminar one time and it was a, it was a seminar for women specifically. And, uh, but there were a couple of guys in it because it was like about feminism or something. But anyway, one of the exercises they had us do is they were like, take a piece of paper and write down all of the people in your life that you care for. And so we all like took five minutes or so and wrote down people. And then at the end of the exercise, they were like, okay, how many of you put yourself on that list? <laughs> and none of the women raised their hands and all of the men did. What? Yeah. Wild. Yeah, it was. It was wild. I was like, it didn't even cross my mind to write my own name on the list. And for the Damn. men, all of them, Damn. it was like... These gender norms got hands! For all of the men, their own own name was either the first or second thing they had written down like a few of the men had written like their wife first or like their children first or something but like all of the men had their names in their like top five so 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 (laughs) we're uh (laughs) we're trying to be better at taking care of ourselves since women are clearly not socialized to provide care to themselves only to other people yeah. So yeah, this book is also like have a secure attachment with yourself. Hashtag self care. So we're working on that. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of I saw a post on one of the Polly pages because I'm still off TikTok, which mostly means I spend a lot of time on Instagram and when I'm very desperate, <laughs> go on Facebook. Um, so I was going through the Polly pages, and one post was like, "If you don't work on your own shit, then polyamory will fuck you up." And it's yeah. like, yeah. That's yeah. that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's true of anything. Like, if you don't work on your own shit, monogamy will also fuck you up. Like, yeah, if you try to be true. in a relationship yeah. before you figure yourself out, you're not going to do well, regardless yeah. of whether it's no, that's one very person true. or multiple. I think polyamory just, like, is, like, going into the Marines. It's like, yeah, you need <laughs> to be physically in shape in general, but, like, you have to be it much more so when you are in the marines <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh oh the other um really cool concept that was introduced in the chapter one of the book um so i studied a little bit of psychology and i think you did as well and in psychology they talk about like infant development right and one of the things mm-hmm. they talk about is like a milestone is that of object permanence so like a baby okay. understanding that when, you know, you cover something up, it's still there. You just can't see it. Okay. So this book introduced the concept of relational object constancy, which is the ability to trust in and maintain an emotional bond with people, even during a physical or emotional separation, which I love this concept because I have so many of my long-term, long-distance lovers that I won't talk to for months at a time but then like when we do reconnect like we know that the um connection is still there so that's that's the physical piece of the physical separation Mm -hmm. but it also references um maintaining an emotional bond during an emotional separation so during an argument during a disconnect during a fight that you can you can be disagreeing you maybe don't like the person at the moment but like you can still maintain an emotional bond with them even when you're having an emotional separation which is hugely important in my opinion yeah, that reminds me of several things. Um, first, when you talked about the writing the list of people you cared about, I forget what book I read. I don't know if it was a relationship book or a productivity, productivity, productivity <laughs> book, because those are pretty much the only two books I read. But at one point, I made I have a I have a notes app, and I basically made a list of all the people who I thought I had any sort of like relationship with. And then I kind of, I don't know, this kind of gets into, I don't, I don't know if this touches on hierarchically, high, hierarchical, I don't know, um, <laughs> polyamory. But basically what I did is I did kind of like arrange them. I was like the people I feel the closest to, you know, maybe acquaintances and then like people I just know. And I like, I don't know, I basically did that to like 
kind of take stock and be like, who am I actually close to? Like, who are the people I actually care about that? Like, I want to invest in. And like, I don't know, I, I still have that list. And I kind of go back to it occasionally. And I just like, keep tabs on like, who I'm actually like, I don't know, I it's kind of how I don't know, because we talk in polyamory of how, like, you know, love is an infinite resource, but, like, time is finite. And, like, Mm -hmm. I think for me it's just a way to be, like, because I do, there's so many points. (laughs) I'm I'm very badly delineating these. But it it was basically a way for me because, like, I, similar to you, I have, like, a lot of people who I feel very close with, but I'm not physically close with and I don't keep in very great contact with because I'm a terrible electronic communicator. And so that list kind of helped me to be like, okay, like these are the people who I care about the most. So when I have time, I should like try to invest time in these people. I don't know if that's problematic. Again, I don't know where that came from, but I think it just kind of helped me to be like, there are a lot of people in my life and like I care about a lot of them, but like two have like truly deep relationships like that takes a lot of fostering and so for me it was kind of a way to be like to achieve this like the depth of relationships I want I kind of need to think of I don't know it's kind of the spark joy I was kind of like who actually sparks joy in my life where yeah. should I put my energy yeah so um yeah No, I've done similar things, less formally, but I've done kind of similar things in the past where I've had like notepads on my phone in times where like I'm in crisis and I'm like, who are the people that like I can lean on? Because I know when I'm in crisis, I need a lot. And I'm like, I know I can't lean on just one person (laughs) or they're going to be so overwhelmed. So I will occasionally make lists of like, all right, who do I have? Who can I go to? So I'm not just like completely exhausting one person. Who can I spread out my my needs for? And similarly, when I've had the rare periods in my life where I have like an abundance of free time, I'm like, who can I give my time to? Who can I provide care for? Um, Mm you know, who would appreciate me reaching out to them and keeping in contact and stuff. Um, yeah. And it's it's weird because I don't know, like when you mentioned like crises, like I think for me, there is kind of a there's difference because again, like. I don't know, like the whole thing with polyamory is like everybody is important and like provides you with different things. And it's like for me, it's like the people who are my closest people, it's like, yeah, I could go to them. But then I think there's also a separate like category of like people I would go to in crises because like I think there are people who, who are particularly good and like comforting in that way mm-hmm. who maybe they're not like the person I'm closest to with but like I would skip over a couple of other people who like I may be closer with but like they're not as good in that realm yeah. um like one of the 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 girl who I was kind of in a thruple with my freshman year of college like she came to mind when you said that because she is just a very sweet person and like I knew I know that if I was in crises like she would be very she would she would like be there for me this is a completely unrelated story but when our sophomore year when we had just come back to campus she we went to a party and had not drank like all the summer and so she tried to keep up with her boyfriend who is like twice the size of her and she ended up getting very drunk um and oh we took i remember her back, the story yeah <laughs> and we took her back to our dorm because we were roommates at the time and we like got and her on the roommates. bed we were roommates um, and we got her on the bed and like she was she was very gone. We like carried her to the apartment. Um, but like she was sitting on the bed and I was like, I, at this point, I did not drink. And so I was totally sober. The boyfriend was less sober, but uh, less sober than me, but more sober than her. Um, and I was just like, this is the point in the movie where she throws up. So I literally went, grabbed a trash can. And as I entered the room, she was starting to vomit. And I like put the trash can right under her and caught it. And the boyfriend just like in his drunken stupor was like, Jen, you're amazing. How did you do that? <laughs> so yeah, not only does she owe me one, but she is also, you know, just a very good crisis management person. You're psychic. <laughs> anyway, that's just one of my prouder moments. That's <laughs> oh, that's funny. I guess, I don't know, what you said caused a lot of points to come up. Um, oh, the other thing, can I add quickly? The the other yeah. thing I do sometimes, when I have news that I know people will be upset about if they learn via social media, I will make lists of people. I'm like, who would be mad if I didn't tell them directly before it's oh, announced wow. publicly? Like, I, when I have... <laughs> you're bad at See, this. that's what I don't do. That's what yeah. I don't do. No, I know. You're terrible at this. I am very intentional. Like, when I decide big things, like, when I pass the 
exam, when I'm moving, when I, I, I don't, I can't have a, like, I went to the hospital for something. I don't know. Just things like that, where I'm like, who do I need to tell person to person? Because they will be upset if they find out via the internet. I have lists so for that. I think, <laughs> I think maybe it's because I do this thing where I assume everybody thinks like me, even though that's objectively not true. But so like my social media feed, I use my social media to announce like big things. And I kind of just assume that that's how people will find out because I don't want to do well. So this is several things. I don't love calling like feeling like I'm calling attention to myself, even if it's well-deserved. This is just a complex I have. So I don't like the one-on-one telling people of things. So like what I like about social media is I can just do one posting and not have to have 50 different conversations of, oh, you cut your hair. Yeah, I did. Oh, it looks cute. Thank you. And do that 50 times. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, But also my social media feed. So like I'm on, when I say I'm on Instagram, I'm always on my explore page looking at avatar memes looking at recently bachelorette memes so funny when you actually watch the show um (laughs) but like my my like feed of like people i follow is often like six days out of the week it like says you're all caught up because i have such a curated people like i'll follow a bunch of people but i will un like i will mute them so i can see their posts because like Mm -hmm there are a lot of people who I don't care to know about the minutia of their life. And so I only follow the people who I care about. So when my friends post something, I do know. And then like, I'll start a conversation with them. I'll be like, oh my God, you moved to Spain. That's so cool. Like, congratulations. So like, that's just how I prefer to communicate. So I think that's my problem. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And social media is a tool and we all use it differently. I intentionally (laughs) will leave feeds on of people whose lives I generally don't care about, unless they're people who post like three times a day and then I'm like, you're too much, goodbye. Um, But I'll intentionally leave people's feeds that I wouldn't normally keep up with. Because sometimes it's interesting of like, I wouldn't have checked up on this person for any other reason, but like, I know things about their life and that's kind of cool. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes I get ideas for my own life. (laughs) It depends. If like, if you're if you're like a, a fringe person to me and like you post something again not super frequently if I see it I'm like oh okay that is an interesting thing but if it's like a I don't like your content that I'm just gonna unfollow you I'm sorry <laughs> like I have very high standards for my feed I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I am honored to be one of the people that you follow Yes, even though you show me all of your pictures before you post them, so it doesn't really matter. I do. Matter. <laughs> I do run all of my Insta posts by Jen before I post them. <laughs> the siblings have a group chat where I'm like, what photo is the lead photo? What do I caption? What do we think of these croppings? <laughs> it's a whole process when we do an Insta post. Yeah, but I guess something else, I, I had a conversation recently and kind of reflected because, so I just graduated, but... I really only spent two years at my school because I spent my freshman and sophomore year on campus. My junior fall, I studied abroad, which like great choice. Like I definitely wouldn't give it up. <laughs> Honestly, anything. great choice, especially since <laughs> spring, everything broke. Yeah, yeah. And then I was on campus for like two months and then we got thrown off. And then the rest of the time I did online. So I really only spent two years on campus. And so like coming out of college, Like, I don't have a ton of people who I am super, super close with. Like, I'm probably still better friends with, like, Danny and Sarah from my hometown. Like, I'm probably still closer with them than, like, people, excluding my partner who goes to my school. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm probably closer with them than, like, anyone else at my school, which... um, I don't know if that's necessarily a product of not having been on campus because I'm still closer with particularly two of my best friends from high school who live moderately close to where I live. I'm still closer Mm -hmm. with them than, well, Melanie. I did meet Melanie in college, but Melanie and I really only met senior year and became really close that year. So we weren't super Mm -hmm. close all four years of college. But like, I don't think not having besties from college is necessarily a product of not having been there often. Yeah, I don't know. And like, I'm, I don't know. I'm also like, fine with it. I think also a product was that like, my freshman and sophomore year pre studying abroad, like I was very like, I did not drink, I did not party, like thinking back on it. Like, I don't even know, like, I literally studied 24 seven, like, that's all I did. Like, literally. Um, So, 
So, I also was yeah. such a nerd in college. I I yeah. still went to parties. I went to social activities. I did, you know, dance clubs and various things. But yeah, I spent so much time studying and I I yeah. also slept a reasonable amount, which most people yeah. did not. Yeah, that's I, true. <laughs> I honestly equate a lot of my success to doing that though, because a lot of people would stay up till 5 a.m. doing homework and you can't do good work after a certain point in the night. Like you just can't. <laughs> and I, I just personally know myself that I am I decrease functionality by 75% if I disrupt my sleep schedule pretty much at yeah. all. Yeah. And so I just kind of knew that about myself. And also, I don't like how I feel when I'm sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. And so I never pulled an all nighter yeah. in school. I never even like really, I never even just like skimped on, like I never cut Same. off an hour. Like yep. I always got my sleep. Yeah. Every weeknight <laughs> I was in bed by 11 and every weekend I was in bed by two. Like those were my yeah. rules for myself. I was like, I will stay up later on the yeah. weekends, but I will be in bed by two. And on weeknights when it was 11, I was like hard bedtime. We are going to bed. Like, can't. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And like, I, I, I didn't like, it's not like I didn't do any socializing, but I did it through like the clubs I was in, which I think was good for me because I love structure. So I liked having a structured <laughs> time when it was like, this is fun time now. Um, <laughs> and like, I did have a group that like, I'm very close. That's like how I met my partner. And like, I'm very close with like a lot of those people. But again, like, I didn't, I don't feel like I got like a best, for, like, I mean, obviously minus my, my partner. I but was like, going to say. <laughs> the sun, but that also happened this year because we've lived together for a year. Like we, well, we were talking about it the other day and we lived together in the fall she stayed over at our house in winter break and we've been through the spring and summer together. And so like, and then she's going to go back to school at the end of August. And we probably will have spent like out of 365 today's like probably 355 days together. Yeah, so like yeah, <laughs> that it's helps. A to, it's a way to build a friend. But I mean, so from college, I have people that I am close with, but it is really only Melanie that I make an active effort to stay in contact with. Yeah. And I'm super duper yeah. Close with. Again, and again, I'm not complaining about it. And I don't know what is like, quote unquote, normal or what most people like do. But I was just kind of reflecting on how like... Yeah, like I don't feel like I got super close with one with like minus my partner, but that was because of quarantine. <laughs> um, yes. um, so like, no, I agree, but but I'm yeah. what I'm saying is like I I kind of left college feeling very similarly of like I I thought yeah. in college you were supposed to meet the people who would be your lifelong friends and like maybe I did. Yeah. I mean, Melanie probably, but like, yeah, I didn't leave college with like a super close knit group of people yeah. who like I call every week. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I had people I like. I have people I still talk to. But, like, yeah, not the most relevant people in my life right now. Aside yeah. from Melanie, who is always relevant. Yeah. Are, are not people I met in college. River would have yeah. been. River is kind of the weird exception <laughs> where he would have been a super relevant person. But then he ripped yeah. my heart out over a television <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm we probably... I'm a lot closer to Chuck, who is in, a, in the same group that um, I met my partner in. Um, and he's kind of my partner's best friend. And I, I'd spent time with him before. Uh, but like, we've definitely gotten a lot closer just because I am now partners with his best friend. Um, yeah. So I'm also pretty close with him. Um, One thing, things will yeah. ebb and flow over the years. Like it kind of depends where yeah. life takes you. Yeah. Like if you end up living in the same place as another. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there are a couple of alumni from my college who I still do trivia with every week and they're pretty close with me. So I don't know. It depends where life takes you. Yeah. It, things will ebb and flow over time. Yeah, that was a longer tangent than I intended. Um, yes. <laughs> but back to the thing you said about um, relational permanence. Yes. Um, and like during fighting, I noticed this week because relational I, I object constancy, but I like relational object constancy. Yeah, it's like the parallel to object permanence, but I like relational oh, that's, permanence. That's better funny because it because it's like rock. ROC. <laughs> it is. It is ROC. Um, Anywho, I don't know. I'm a little emotionally drained because I have to um, job hunt day in and day out and sell my soul to the man. Actually. Okay, sorry, another tangent. But so <laughs> I, basically, I'm just emailing random people who are in the industry I'm, I'm interested in and being like, hey, do you have advice for someone entering the industry? And I was talking to this woman yesterday who, uh, I guess, I don't know their pronouns. They're queer. I will say they. They, um, that we, they, we started at the meeting and it didn't seem like they super liked me. Like they seemed a oh. little reserved. But then 
at the end of the by the end of the meeting she was like oh they were like oh yeah like if you want me to like mentor you or like like I'm I'm willing to give you advice or like meet again like text me so like it ended well but at one point in the conversation she was like they were like I have to tell you I love my job but like through the company I work with, I do work for Facebook. And so like, I do feel morally conscious about that. But I do work on projects that like help queer youth. And so I can feel good about that. But I just want to let but but she was like, basically, I do not believe there's any ethical action under capitalism. And I was like, me too, bitch. I was just talking about this the other day. (laughs) So that was funny. Anyway. (laughs) So yeah, so anyway, I'm a little stressed at all times, because I am fighting for my right to continue my existence in society (laughs) um and my partner is a little stressed because they don't love the colleagues in their internship that uh they're doing so sometimes we'll snip at each other but like i don't know i've just noticed and i don't know if this is because like polyamory and like my i mean i'm sure it is but like my dedication to opus and non communication and also just like willingness to admit when you're wrong but like we'll snip at each other but then it's like immediate will be like, I'm sorry, I'm a bit stressed. I shouldn't have snipped at you. It's not your fault. And like Aww. I've just noticed <laughs> that we've done that several times where it's just like we can tell like we'll say something bitchy to one another. But then like afterwards, we'll just be like, I'm sorry. Like, this is why I'm upset. I shouldn't have lashed out at you. <laughs> so I don't know if it's because we're both more female identifying people i don't know if it's because we've put in a lot of emotional work but kind of what you talked about like during fighting having that like relational object constancy of like Mm -hmm. like i'm fighting with this person but like i don't know it just made me realize when we were doing that it's like it's so weird when like couples and like every relationship is different but like when couples like fight but then like i don't know just me this being my first like very committed relationship it's like i don't know it just and obviously years and years go by but like it's so weird to think that like i don't know to just forget that like how close you are with this person and like yeah you're gonna fight like you're a human like you're you're a bad person sometimes and like the person closest to you is going to get the brunt of that but like I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of keeping in mind, like I am close with this person and that's why I'm with you. Obviously this doesn't apply to all relationships. Some relationships are bad. Some partners are bad and you should leave them. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I was actually going to say, I think our whole family is really good at like when we're arguing, we still love each other. And a lot of that I do Mm -hmm. attribute to dad because like, I remember when I was really little and I was like mad at dad, there were a couple of times that I like said, like, I hate you. And dad would always be like, I still love you even when we're angry with each other. And it always just made me more more mad because I was like why are you so emotionally developed um but but yeah that was something he instilled in at least me from a very young age that like even when you're angry with someone you can still love them even when you're disagreeing and like I think I've seen it in everybody in our family at times when we argue like being like I'm not actually mad at you I am mad at myself because this thing or I'm really stressed or I'm really tired like we'll do that a lot and like I remember it definitely comes with age and experience and practice but I remember when Billy was really little you remember Billy used to get so mad (laughs) so mad Um, and I remember one time mom called me because I think they were shopping at Walmart or something and Billy had thrown a temper tantrum or something and (laughs) on the way home Billy like apologized to mom and was like I'm sorry I lashed out at you like I think I'm really stressed with school and some things and bloody blah and mom said she stopped the car on the interstate because she was so blown away she was like what (laughs) but it just it it comes with age and it comes with practice and just emotional development in general but yeah I think in large part, I, I do credit dad with this and, and mom too. I mean, mom was also the MVP parent. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they definitely taught us from a very young age that like, you know, when you're mad, you still love the person. And, you know, sometimes you're not really mad at them. Sometimes you're just tired or hungry or something. Well, um, what's, what's really funny is like, with me and my partner, it's like, we'll kind of like fight over little things like, oh, you interrupted me or like, oh you threw my shirt on the floor but like those are like little things that will snip at each other but like if I make 
her really mad and she tries to be mean for some reason it's just the funniest thing to me and like she'll like I can tell when she's really mad and she wants to be like mean and she'll like try to like say things or like insult me but like I don't know she just when she's mad she's just so funny because I I I don't know if it's just because like deep down I know she like doesn't really mean it and she's just like being exasperated but like I think that also helps our relationship because when she gets mad I just think it's hilarious and I don't know why that may not be the healthiest thing but that is an interesting dynamic in our relationship I don't know I mean it's it's better than like hating each other when you're mad it's not the worst thing I don't know because I remember I remember when Sebastian and I had uh one of our first fights and I was like really upset with him he was like terrified the relationship was over and I didn't love him anymore. And I was like, no, like you can be in a fight and still love somebody. Like it's fine. But I think a lot of people just aren't taught that. Like a lot of people are taught, like if you're mad at somebody, you can't love them because you're mad at them. And like, you don't, you can't love somebody you're mad at. And I'm like, yes, you, you very much can love someone that you're mad at. <laughs> That's funny because there it's famous at my school during like freshman orientation week. They show this movie that's like from the 70s and is like based on our campus. And it's like a very bad movie, cheesy love story. And one of the famous lines from it is, being in love means not having to say I'm sorry or something like that. Oh, and like, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. And the joke is just like, it's like the upperclassmen who are like at the showing of this film with the freshmen just all shout, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, you good. should definitely still apologize, <laughs> even when you're in love. Like, you definitely should still say you're sorry. What? That's just not, not healthy. Yeah, but um, but your Sebastian story reminds me, because I think my other reaction to, like, big fights we have is either, like, I think it's funny that she's mad or... And we talked about this when we got in probably the biggest fight we had um, earlier this summer. But like my other reaction is if I do feel that I have genuinely like wronged my partner is that I will just like get so sad and be like, I am a terrible person. I hurt the person I love the most. I'm an awful person. That's and what so, Sebastian like, would do. He would just be like, <laughs> I am the scum of the earth. I don't deserve to live. And I'd be like, bro, chill. You're fine. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, how could I like this person is a beautiful person and we had a lovely relationship and I ruined it. And for what? For what folly? Oh, <laughs> uh, you and Sebastian really were the he had the same personality type as you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm just I don't know. I've said it before. I'm just I don't really believe in argument and I am just not an argumentative person at all. And so like that has perks. I'm sure it also has some things that are bad for me overall, but like I'm not going to argue with you probably in most cases. So the last thing from where I left off in the book that I really liked about um, the book Polysecure is they talked about attachment styles are not rigid identities to take on, which I think is an important thing we're going to want to stress when we're reading this book. Because when we first started talking about attachment theories, it was after we had talked about personality Mm -hmm. categories or whatever. And like, those are fluid as well, but like they're more like identities you take on. And this book is very adamant that like attachment styles are not identities you take on. Like it's not, I am mm-hmm. a secure, I am an avoidant. Like you don't, that's not mm-hmm. a thing. It's like, it's more of like recognizing in yourself, like I tend to have secure attachment or I tend to have mm-hmm. anxious attachment. Um, yeah. But it's not like I am an anxious attachment person. Like that's not. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, so it's definitely a hierarchy, like for sure, secure attachment is like the goal, like that is what a healthy, we all should ideally have if we haven't had a traumatic childhood. (laughs) Um, But one of the things I really liked was they uh, talk about if you, you know, don't start from a secure attachment point, if you start being insecure or avoidant or what have you, um, but then you work on yourself. Um, and you like go to therapy and communicate with your partner and yada yada then if you become securely attached they call it earned secure attachment which I kind of like because it's like yeah 
I worked at this and I had to earn my secure attachment. I didn't just like have a nice childhood like all you privileged fucks with parents who loved you. I say as a privileged fuck with two parents who love me very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so not identities. Attachment styles are attachment styles and not like an identity you take on. But no, I think that is definitely true. Probably prior to a lot of the books I read this last like since the spring about poly stuff like at first I didn't really know what attachment styles were and then I didn't really believe in them because I did think that they were supposed to be this kind of like rigid thing and I didn't really just identify with any of them that strongly um but no I definitely think that like I have read that like a yes it is fluid and b like you can be multiple at the same time like you can have different styles of relationships with different people um but i think the fluidity is definitely true because i don't know i don't want to take too much credit for this because i don't know exactly where she started but i do think prior to like when my partner and i were in a relationship she was much more avoidant (laughs) than she is now and like, I will take some credit for, you know, being a good partner and doing it in my work, but she has done a lot of work. And so I want to give her credit for that. But like, oh, we were having a conversation one day and she like expressed a want or a need or like said something. And I was like, look at you clearly communicating, asking for what you want. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and it's just like, it's true. Like, I don't know, like, again, like I don't want to take too much credit for it, but it's like, she wouldn't have done that sort of thing at least not with me. Like, I don't know all of her relationships, but like, I don't know. I think we have definitely done a lot of work in just our, um, tomorrow is our three month anniversary. Um, so we have done a lot of work in those three months to kind of be able to, you know, like be at the point where we can, you know, discuss our feelings and wants and desires. And also, you know, like talk about our frustrations when we have arguments. Um, So no, I do definitely think it is a lot of work and a lot of emotional work, but I do definitely think attachment styles are changeable. Yeah, definitely. People are capable of change and growth. I'm a big boob. A lot of people, it surprises me how many people don't think people can change. Like how many people are like, nope, if this person is this way, they will always be this way and they will never change and like cut them out. And I'm like, I am a very, very adamant believer. And I have seen people, including myself, like grow and change and learn and get better. And like, they don't always like, absolutely. At some point you got to be like, nope, you're garbage trash. Goodbye. Like for sure. Sometimes it's healthy to cut people out, but like, I really do think most people are capable of growing. Yeah. I mean, again, it's hard because, like, I don't really believe in, like, people. I think we're just kind of a conglomeration of genes and environments that happen to exist in the space. But anyway, um, so, like, yes, I do think change can happen. It is very hard. But I think for... Hmm. I don't know. I don't want to like blame people for having shitty people in their life, but I think, and and I don't want to like put pressure on people to like change the people around them. But like, I think if you have done work on yourself and like have that mindset of growth and change for yourself, then you kind of can help to infect the people around you to do that as well. But also just like you attract those kinds of people to yourself as well, just kind of with that mentality, just kind of people who are more in, you know, willing and capable of change. Um, yeah. Totally random side note. I promise I was listening to everything you said, but I was also scrolling through Instagram because I do that sometimes. And <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I scrolled past a picture of a friend of mine from college and she was with another girl. And I was just like, they're sisters. Like they have to be, they look so similar. And I looked at the same last name. So I assume they are sisters. But I wonder if people have that when they see pictures of us sometimes. Because I don't think we look that similar, but I've been told when people see photos of us they're like oh yeah we can tell your sisters and that's so weird to me because i don't think we look alike i know people say that to us but it's like you definitely take after dad's side 100 definitely take after mom's side Mm -hmm. and it's like i don't know like we're both white and like have mid-toned hair (laughs) but it's like I don't know. I, I also don't feel like we have very similar facial pe- features, but a lot of people say we do. So maybe we do. I don't know. I don't think we look that similar. I'm looking at photos of the two of us right now because I'm questioning, like, <laughs> do people have this experience with us? But like, I don't think we look that similar. 
but maybe we do and we just don't see it well it helps when i have the short hair and you have the long hair <laughs> yeah that makes us look more different i maybe look like billy a little bit you look like uh joe a fair amount yeah well no yeah joe and i definitely take after mom and you and billy definitely take after yeah. dad yeah <laughs> i was one time i forget why but i was like looking through our old church directory and i liked playing this game where i was like there was like a family like with like a heterosexual couple and it's like okay which parent does the child favor and like <laughs> to see where they got each each facial feature from that was fun for me i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I have a bit of a segue um, talking about fostering change in other people. I thought you were um, going to say fostering children. Continue. Fostering children. I'm adopting. Fun fact. <laughs> you are what? <laughs> anyway, fostering uh, change. Um, Go on. But so a while ago, we did an episode that was a lot about consent. And so the stuff I posted on Instagram was about consent. And one person left a comment that was like, yeah, but what if somebody is not into something so you like non-consensually do it and they end up liking it? And I didn't respond to the comment <laughs> because I was like, this feels like a heavier conversation than to have it in an Instagram comment yeah. section. Also, first of all, because I wanted to discuss it here, and I, I was trying to look, I was scrolling through Instagram for a purpose of trying to find that comment, but I couldn't. So it's possible the person took it down. But so that brought up a lot of thoughts for me because my macroeconomic brain was like, okay, how do I generalize this to everything? Because um, I know we talked about like paternalism a bit before. And so I don't know. This is tricky. My, well, I mean, the, I the question to... really boils down to like an ethics one, right? It's like, is yeah. an action based on the action or the consequences of the action? Because like, if you rape someone who's unconscious, but they never remember it, it's still rape. Even if they don't realize mm -hmm. what happened, you still did yeah. it. Even if there's no consequences and nobody ever finds out. Still yeah. Actually, yeah. I was chatting with my therapist while we're going on random tangents. We'll we'll come back, I promise. But I was chatting <laughs> with my therapist about um just like things that make me feel safe and consent and things like that. And uh one of the things, things I've realized what? Good things. Yes. One of the things Good I've things. realized I do I think subconsciously when I meet men in particular, not even men that I'm attracted to, just like all men is i i play this scenario in my head of like would this man rape me if he thought he could get away with it like if i was unconscious and i wouldn't remember it would he take advantage of my unconscious body and i i never like consciously did that but i think i have subconsciously done it with like every man i have ever met of like would this man take advantage of me if he thought he could get away with it? And like, I think the the crux of like who I feel safe with and who I don't feel safe with lies in how I answer that question. And I may be wrong, like I'm not necessarily right in how I answer that question, but like my internal gut feeling of what I think a man would do if he thought he could get away with taking advantage of me is at the crux of a lot of my feelings of safety around various men in my life which was an interesting yeah. thing I uncovered in therapy. Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. No, that just made me think I don't hang around a lot. I also don't hang around a lot of men who I like would feel that way. Like when I think about my friend group, it's a very queer, but B just like also men who are very healthy in their masculinity. Yes. Um, but that does make me think of when I was in Barcelona and I would go out to bars and this is also related to the other tangent I was going to go on, but um, like I would go to bars because I love dancing a little too much for my own safety. Um, <laughs> and like I would talk to and meet strange random men. And one time I like, oh God, what did I do? I like met up with this, there was like this group of like kind of older men who like kind of had a hippie vibe and we were at this one bar and I think we were like taking salsa lessons and then like the lesson ended and they were like oh like we know this other bar that's like much better for dancing and so I can I think this was a night I was there with my friends and so I like convinced my friends to like leave that bar and follow this group to another bar 
bad idea. Um, <laughs> not, not that it didn't turn out bad, but like just in general, you probably shouldn't do that with strangers. Um, <laughs> but then we went to another bar and I ran into a guy and I like danced with him for a while and talked with him. And then at one point I was like, Oh, I'm going to leave. And he was like, Oh, like I'll walk you to the station, which like, I should have just said no, but I didn't. And so like, I went up to the first group and I was like, Hey, I'm heading out. And they were like, Oh yeah. And you're leaving with company. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, and so then the guy like walked me to the station and was like, probably trying to come home with me, but like, couldn't have because I lived with the host family. Um, so nothing bad did happen. It did make, I don't know, I probably did make choices, which again, goes to the thing we were talking about cat calling, which is like, it's not fair that like, I should have to worry about that more than like a guy would. Right. But like, if I don't want to die, I should probably take better precautions. Um, <laughs> But so what happened today is uh, we got a knock on our door and we just moved into this place. It's a sublet. We're only going to be here for a month. And so we got a knock on our door and I was like, who the fuck is this? And this is also when I discovered our new door does not have a little like keyhole porthole thing to look out of. So I was like, I have no idea who's on the other side of this. So I opened the door and it was a man, but he was very non-threatening, looked very nice. He was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, hey, I'm moving out and I'm giving away my furniture. Do you want to like come check it out and like take anything if you want. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so I <laughs> so I just took my keys and my phone and my mask and I went, followed him to his apartment and went into his apartment and he showed me stuff and I took some pictures and then I left and I came back and my partner was like, what the fuck? And I was like, what? She was like, she was in a meeting when I left and she was like, you just left and went to a strange man's apartment. And I was like, when you say it like that, <laughs> it sounds like I did a stupid thing. <laughs> that, but Yeah, that is the perfect ruse for murder. <laughs> okay, but again, yes, women get murdered, but psychopathy and random murders are a lot less common than like you're more likely to be murdered by someone you know and someone very close correct. to you. Anyway, very correct. Um, yeah, that was just kind of a tangent about me making poor decisions that were only poor because toxic masculinity. Because of the patriarchy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. what were we supposed to circle back to before I took this um, tangent? Non-consent. Right, yes, the question. Okay, yeah, so it gets to the <laughs> ethics argument of like, is it still a bad action if there are no bad consequences and yes so like even mm-hmm. if you try something unconsensually and they end up liking it cool you still did a bad thing and like there could still be trauma from it like if you try something new in bed without asking first even if the person likes it like they could still later realize oh that was actually non-consensual and kind of triggering even though i ended up like enjoying what they did like yeah you can like just because there are bad consequences right away doesn't mean there won't ever be and also even if there are never bad consequences you still did a non-consensual thing that you shouldn't done yeah i think for me again i try to go to the very generalizable thing the like very stereotypical thing that comes to my mind is like oh the stereotype of like there's a man and a woman identifying persons in bed and the man really wants to try anal sex and the woman doesn't but the man does it anyway and i don't know maybe the woman likes it maybe she doesn't so it's like for me i think what's coming to is kind of the motivation behind it because like when i'm thinking about me and my partner it's like i don't know there are some things where it's like, oh, I think that like we would really enjoy this. And like and some things that I've done, like I think there are some things I could like do for you that I think you would really enjoy that she has been like, no, I don't really want to do that. And like I've respected that. Mm-hmm. But it's like I as could you should. see as you should. But I could also see of like, I don't know. I think I I think the answer is just like, no, you should do it with consent. Yes. But you absolutely like, should. I don't know. But then my mind goes to like it's hard because I don't want to consider sex like a special thing because it is just another thing. And like, obviously, the way our society treats it, it kind of isn't just another thing. But in Genland, it is because it's like, okay, so say you want your partner to try a new food, but they don't want to. So you slip it into their food or sneak it in somehow, and then they end up enjoying it. It's like, that's not terrible. But also... I don't even love that. I don't... Yeah, I'm not, I've never been a big fan of like surprises and stuff. Like I yeah, just it's I always seemed not. And you're right. I mean, we probably shouldn't treat sex as a special thing. It is just like an act, but I actually take the view that like I mean, you could have consent. You should have consent in all areas of life. Yeah. Like 
even sneaking food into someone's food is non-consensual and shitty and you should not do. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to draw the distinction when I was talking about motivations. It's like, are you doing the thing because you think you will enjoy it or are you doing it like... Even then, even then. So I had my first boyfriend when I moved to the city I live in now. We were cooking dinner one time and we had, uh, we were cooking with coconut oil or coconut paste or something. Um, And he wanted to be all sexy. So he closed my, he said, close your eyes. And I closed my eyes and he took a dip of the coconut thing on his finger and he put it in my mouth. I hate coconut he did not know this um so he put the coconut thing in my mouth and i gagged and was like no what the no don't like this like nope (laughs) and like yeah surprises are not don't he could have just like asked me ahead of time like you know do you like coconut stuff and i would have said no but if i had liked it i would have said like oh yeah and he'd be like oh like can i put this in your mouth that would have been sexier than the whole surprise thing like people asking is always sexier than just doing it like always always 100 percent of the time always just like you it doesn't kill the mood i feel like everybody's always afraid like oh if i focus on consent too much it's gonna kill the mood and you just gotta go for it and it's like no consent adds to the mood like somebody one of my my newer partners that i've just started sleeping with and i have been having fantastic sex with it's because he's so into consent like he asks every step of the way even though we've been having sex for like several weeks now he still every step of the way asks and it's still sexy like when he's like oh can i take your pants off or like can i go down on you or like all these things i'm like this is so nice (laughs) because sometimes sometimes I'm not in the mood for a certain thing. Like sometimes he's like, can I go down on you? And I'm like, I think I'm more in the mood to go down on you. Like, can we do that instead? And he's like, hell yeah. And like, it's (laughs) great communication during sex and talking and consent is so sexy. Like, uh, again, it's really not that hard. Like, I think, I think if we live, we don't live in a culture of consent, which you've said so many times and it's so true, but like, I wish we did because in the culture of consent that I am building with this new sexual partner that I have, it's so lovely. Because it's just, it, it was kind of clunky at first, I will admit. He's he's very into talking during sex, and that was not something that came very naturally to me. He says my name a lot, which at first I was like, this is weird. But now I'm, like, super into it. Like, it, it took some time, and it took some getting used to, which, I mean, anytime you take on a new partner, it's always kind of clunky in the beginning until you get used to each other. But... It's so nice now, now that we've built up this like repertoire of like, we check in with each other every step of the way and we're always talking and we're always asking permission and we're always asking what the other person wants. And like, we have really, really long aftercare sessions after every single time we have sex where we talk about like, I really liked this particular thing we did or like Mm -hmm. this thing we did didn't quite work so well. Could we do that differently next time? Or like, maybe just not do that at all. And like, it's so nice to have these really long talks about what just happened and like it's just lovely it's a lovely lovely yeah time. yeah i think my partner and i are kind of similar which i think i think we're not as good with the explicit like oh can i do this next step can i do this next step but like in our very early in our relationship we were kind of like very we were both very open of like you can say no and we can stop at any time and it's fine. Like if you don't want something, like just tell me. So we kind of do. And like, this is probably just something we need to work on that we need to work on, like being more explicit, but like our kind of mode is kind of like we do things tentatively. And then we just both kind of like, if it seems they're not into it, then we'll just kind of jerk back and be like, is that okay? Like, are you okay? Like we can stop if you want to stop. It's fine. And like, we are, I, I think at least both feel very comfortable with like if we're doing something of being like, yeah, maybe not. Um, yeah. But we also do have very long debrief sessions that I kind of initiated. And my partner makes fun of me because I'm very bad at asking things in non-awkward ways because I'll just be like, like, do you have any feedback? <laughs> <laughs> so in very non-sexy ways, but debriefing <laughs> sessions are very important. I think even that is is very sexy. Like, do you have any feedback? Or like, so with the partner that I've been sleeping with for a while now, we had like a very very long conversation before the first time we had sex where we talked about like our preferences and our desires and what we liked and what we were really into and the sexiest thing has ever happened to me in my life was we after the first time we had sex we obviously because we'd had this long conversation knew exactly what the other person wanted and what they liked so we were doing all these things intentionally like i know you like this so i'm doing it and at the end he did 
every single thing that I that I had mentioned that I liked. All my favorite positions, all my favorite places to be kissed, all my favorite places to be touched, everything he did, except he didn't pull my hair, which didn't even occur to me as a thing he had forgotten to do. But as soon as we finished having sex and we were like starting to have the aftercare conversation, he goes, oh, I forgot to pull your hair. And I was like, oh, my God, the level, the level of I almost came just from that. I was like, holy shit, my dude, like the level of just dedication that you have to have to like have done literally every single thing at the end your takeaway was oh i forgot to do this one thing like bro you did all the other stuff you're fine we're great but like he was like ah i forgot to pull your hair and i was like oh my god marry me now (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i think circling back to kind of what we started out on i think the reason why I'm struggling to make a very large general statement, because I think, yeah, as you're pointing out, like, if you respect your and love your partner or anyone or as a human being, like you Mm -hmm. should respect other people's consent. Um, Mm -hmm. I think my edge case that I'm struggling with is like, when you want to do something for your partner that you are like, almost certain is for their own good. Mm -hmm. Like my, so I guess specifically, my partner does not contact medical professionals as often as I would in their situation. <laughs> yeah. And so I am often like, oh, why don't you just call the doctor? And they're like, no. And so there was this one point where we had gone sledding and the next day they were in some pain, some extreme pain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can we please call the doctor? And they were like, no, no, it's fine. And so I did like fairly much pressure and force them to call the doctor because I was concerned for their well-being. So, like, I think that's what I was trying to say with, like, motivation. Like, if you are yeah. doing something that is, like, purely for their own good. But, again, I think that is a very edge-extreme case. And even at well, that point, like, I am not respecting their autonomy. And so it's like... And, and here's the thing, too. You can, When it comes to sex and situations like that, where you want to try something new that you are pretty sure they'll like, you can also have higher-level conversations. And you should have higher-level conversations with your partners about mm-hmm. what they would prefer. Because... For me, I have learned through being with this new partner that I really like being asked every step of the way, and that's great. And I think with future partners, I am going to expressly state that like that is a preference of mine. However, if you and your partner decide, I'm really open to trying new things without explicitly asking beforehand, and I kind of like just diving in, that's a preference of mine, you can say that and be like, if there's something new you want to try... And, you know, it's it's not crazy, obviously. If there's something new you want to try, you can just do it and we'll have a safe word. You know, like you can set yeah. up safe words if you would rather <laughs> be like, we're going to try whatever the fuck we want. And then, you know, if we don't like it, we'll stop. Like you you can set those and you should set those higher level expectations before you have mm-hmm. sex with someone of like, OK, are we asking every step of the way or are we just going to dive into things and instead have a safe word and do it kind of the, the back route? You know, there's different yeah. ways you can go about sex. And like you should have yeah. those higher level conversations ahead of time. So yeah. I guess to answer the Instagram comment, it can be okay if you have set up the conversation ahead of time that you and your partner are comfortable trying new things without explicitly asking. But in asking. that case, it is still consenting because right, you right. have That's consented my point. Yeah. to that. Yeah. So the That's... summary is no, consent. No. Yes, con- well, I guess consent. yes, consent, but no, you need consent. I don't know. Consent. That is the summary. <laughs> consent. <laughs> Uh, speaking of that that just reminded me of your safe word on like monday we went over to one of my partner's friend's house and we got dinner um and i could kind of tell kind of early into the evening that like my partner was like not really feeling it and like i texted her at one point i was like if you want to go we can go i don't know she stuck it out and then we were on the uber home and she was like yeah i wanted to leave a lot earlier but like i kept hoping it would get better and i was like if you wanted to leave like we could just leave and so we've been having this conversation we're trying to think of a f- safe word or phrase that will signal to the other person that they should be like oh man i forgot i have some ironing to do at home to like get us out of a social situation so we haven't come up with anything yet actually what we came up with last night she was like okay if i want to leave i will mention my great uncle because i don't have one and i was like (laughs) okay i'll i'll mention a made-up cousin and she was like cool so that is our new system for if we're in a social situation and we want to leave that's how we're going to indicate to each other even though i texted her which also worked but anyway whatever um but yeah consent conversation (laughs) speaking of secret languages uh when melanie and i were in college and both single at the time we had 
jokingly talked about if we ever moved in together and we're going to have threesomes and such, what we were going to do is if we ever brought a boy home, or I guess it could have been a girl, it was a boy, if we ever brought a person home, if we wanted to keep them for ourselves, we were going to say, hey, Melanie, can you get me the white wine? And that was a signal of like, I'm going to, I want this one for me. I'm going to go. <laughs> but if we wanted to share them and have a threesome, we were going to be like, hey, Melanie, get that red wine out. And then that was a signal of like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try threesome this. See how that goes. So that was our, our secret code we were going to have if we ever lived together. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast app. If you really like us, like, like, like us, send this episode to a friend, family member, partner, your boss, anyone else in your social circle, the people you want to convert to polyamory, start a conversation. Feel free to send us any comments or questions over social media. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.